You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. Well, you know it's a good morning, right? There's a bit of sun out there, but not too much. Jay confesses he's a hypocrite. Come on, come on. Let's hear more, brother. (laughs) Now, how much money is he going to spend on coffee this week, having confessed to us? You know what preaching is going to like on Tuesday, don't you? (laughs) Yeah, too much fun, too much. And Erin confessed she's pregnant. Oh, my gosh, yes. Yes, yes, there's a story there. And it's a time for incredible rejoicing and prayers. Yeah, good day. Uh, we're doing Luke 16 today, and if you're last Sunday, Jay did a marvelous sermon on what? Luke 14. What's missing? Luke 15. Why are we not doing Luke 15 today? Well, there's two reasons. One, Jay's a party guy. You know, our lead pastor spent this whole weekend partying instead of preaching, And I said, okay, Jay, I'll take the prodigal son. I mean, it's a great... No, no, he said, that's mine. That's his second problem. He's really possessive. (laughs) No, he said, you keep 16, but go this week. So there we go. Uh, Super, super party. Uh, I wasn't at the graduation parties, but I was at Grant and Kate's wedding last night. It was awesome. I mean, so good to see these two young folk coming together. Uh, Matt, I mean, he's up the stairs right now, but he did great giving the father's toast. I mean, he actually cried, like, a lot. I mean, he was, and he gave away a Superman cape. I mean, what's that about? And Sean did his very first wedding ever and didn't cry through the whole time. <laughs> yeah, he a little bit. A little bit. We, we're kind of jacking him up and say, dude, like, let it go, you know, and you're too much in control. No, it was really good, just a great celebration. And that's what we're doing, celebrating, celebrating good things God has done, because that celebration is just an unending celebration, and we're going to do that together. So Luke chapter 16, let's see, I need to get this thing. Uh, Luke 16, I want to read this. Grab your Bibles. There are sermon notes back there if you didn't get them on the way in. Uh, it's just, it, we're going to look at two parables. There's more in the chapter, but time. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What does I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot manage any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master's taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm, I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. I, when I lose my job here, people will welcome me in my houses. That's what I can do. So he called in each one of his masters there, and he said to the first one, How much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of oil, he replied. It's a lot. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, make it 450. Hmm. He asked the second, How much do you owe? 1,000 bushels of wheat, he replied. Okay, take your bill, make it 800. Really? The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are people of light. I tell you, 
Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and who is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with somebody else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, Jesus says. First parable. Weird story, right? Weird, weird story. So I've just called it managing money shrewdly. But I think about the story, because I ponder everything, especially when I'm preaching it. This is a crazy story, isn't it? I mean, this powerful man is feathering his own nest by stealing from his boss, it appears. Take your 1,000 bill, make it 800. Take your 900 bill, make it 450 for his own benefit. And Jesus says, be like him. Is that weird? Yeah. Yeah, like what's going on here? What's going on here? So I think, and so I start pondering because there's, it's just the outline. Luke is inviting us to step into the story, bring the flow of the stories in, and then look at it in light of who we are. And that's what I want to do. So I look at this, and I think this powerful man and manager, his, my first thought was his corruption is exposed. That's why he loses his job, because he apparently is acting corruptly, stealing for his manager again, stealing for his owner. But then I thought about it a little bit further, and I found myself thinking, I don't think it's his corruption that gossed him his job. I think it's probably his incompetence. He can't handle this well. It's just too big a job. And whatever happens, downed economy, whatever it is, his incompetence, and the word comes back like, you're not very good. You're not very good. I picture it like this. I picture it as a powerful rich man here in the picture. The powerful rich man is sitting there with all of his wealth and all of his authority. And the manager, with his incompetence exposed, full of shame, full of that internal agony. He doesn't ask for, he doesn't complain, I didn't do it. He just exposed, shamed. That's why I read that. Helpless. When you see a rich man, I mean, you look at that, and a rich man evokes envy a lot of times. Man, I wish I had some more. I mean, a few more dollars, and look what I could do. But rich men, especially in that economy, also would evoke uh, antipathy. Because rich guys get to be rich by stealing from others. Colonialism, corruption, greed. When you think of rich guy, that's what you think of. Now, when I put in that Luke story... This is the third rich guy. The first rich guy, Jay talked about last time, the guy that had the party. Good guy or bad guy? 
The second rich guy is the father of the two sons. You know the story probably. Good guy or bad guy? Very good guy. The third rich guy is here. Good guy or bad guy? Well, it invites us to ponder. It invites us to ponder. The manager, well, the manager wastes his manager's resources, his owner's resources. Uh, another way to say this is he squanders those resources. The same word that's used for the, sec- the first son who takes his father's wealth, his inheritance, and goes and squanders it in profligate living. It's the same word. He wastes his master's resources, I think probably out of incompetence, because he's still there. He didn't go to the far country, maybe. Look what he does. 900 gallons of olive oil? Hmm, okay. Cut it to 450. Like, what's he doing here? He's not doing this a long ways away. He's doing this right in the household of the master, the owner. Like, is he really cutting half of the debt off that's owed to the master? I mean, that would, like, get you killed, not commended. Like, what's the deal? What's the deal? One thing for sure, one thing for sure, and then pay some impending judgment, he's going to lose his job. He reorients his actions shrewdly for the sake of the future. So he's a guy, I can imagine, he's a guy, hey, Bill's 900 like every penny. Not a, every penny now, on time, or Guido's going to come visit you. I can imagine that. I guess it wouldn't be Guido there, it would be Yuda or something. I imagine he's that kind of a guy. And in face of losing his job, he changes his actions completely when he realizes, oh my gosh, there's a tomorrow, and it doesn't look good. But the master commends him. For stealing half his money? I, he, you can't commend a guy for stealing half your money for your own benefit. You just can't. What's going on here? Some of the commentators suggest, and I find it persuasive, that what's happened here is he's sacrificing his commissions. Because what happens is, when you borrow money, what happens? If you borrow $1,000 to buy a car, do you pay back $1,000? No, you pay back quite a bit more than that. What do we call that? Interest, commission, those kinds. I think this is what's happening here. I think what's happening is not cutting off the master's debt. He's cutting off his commission. He's, he, you owe the master 800 but the bill's 1000 Why? Commission, interest. So forget the 200 commission. He's sacrificing his commissions. They're rightfully his. I mean, he's doing a service. They are rightfully his. This is not stealing or corruption, probably. Well, it might be, but it's normal corruption. You know, you want an honest thief. <laughs> That's what you want in politics, right? He sacrifices commissions to build relationships that will endure after his dismissal. I mean, that's, that's for sure. I think what he's doing, though, he's cutting it off. His commission. That's rightfully his. What's he doing? It strikes me that what he's doing is he is forgiving. He is acting with forgiveness and with grace. Because he, he has every right to the commission. 
The guy signed a note. It's an agreement. And he is forgiving, not the master's money, his money. Why? Well, part of it is because he thinks longer term. His short-term gain is sacrificed for a different kind of long-term benefit. That's forgiveness. Now, if this third rich guy is a good guy, because the first two are, the third guy, this is the third guy, if he's a good guy, that's why he would commend him. Dude, I love your grace. I love your mercy. I love your forgiveness. Why? Because this rich man is like Job, a worshiper of Yahweh who realizes God's gifting in his life. And he recognizes it in the manager's life and he says, good job. What you're doing was not wrong, but this is way better. Give up. Forgive. Forgive. Graciously. Generously. For the sake of a longer term relationship. And of course, it's clear that Jesus makes the point in this. He tells a parable our future status depends completely on our present actions. I don't like that at one level. I don't like somebody looking over my shoulder, especially somebody with authority looking over my shoulder, but it's a reality. And that ultimately, of course, is, is God doing that. And what the parable comes out is we too should act shrewdly to ensure our future in light of impending Judgment. And that's the lesson of the first parable. Okay? Second parable. Better known. The rich man and Lazarus. Read with me, starting at verse 18, 19. There was a rich man, fourth rich man, who was dressed in purple and fine linen, lived in luxury. Every day his gate lay a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Aye. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side, and he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been set in place so those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, Send Lazarus to my family. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they'll not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone comes from the dead and goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Quite a story. Quite a story. What a story. One of the things I enjoy is looking at ancient icons. Having spent time in Ukraine and done a tour of Eastern Orthodox, Russian Orthodox churches, 
and then such. I, I just there's an art form there that just is gripping. This is a at Saint Ivan of Ryla Monastery in Bulgaria, and artist's name is not known. Typical of that day. And you look at that. That looks nice. I mean, that looks like Chapter 14, doesn't it? The rich guy throwing a party and asking people to come to his party. It's a good picture. It's a good picture. I like that picture. What's the problem? There's more to the picture. What else is in the picture? Lazarus. What else is in the picture? The afterlife. See, you have to have the whole picture. If you just look at this part, it's nice to be a rich guy. It's really nice. You invite people to your parties and bask in their, gener- in their graciousness and their thankfulness. But what about Lazarus? What about a future judgment? I mean, it invites us to ponder and look at the bigger picture. So I ask you, whom do you want to be like? Rich guy or Lazarus? Whom do you want to be like? Whom do you want to be like? Rich guy or Lazarus? How many people like the rich guy? Come on, be real. I mean, who wants to live out of a shopping cart on Springwater Trail? I like having a nice home. I like having a car. I like having clothes. I like having too much food. So, you want to be like the rich guy or Lazarus? Neither. <laughs> yeah, neither. He's painting an extreme picture of the rich guy and an extreme picture of the poor guy. The point is, we don't be like either one of them. But the reality is, a whole lot of us are in the rich guy's side. Some in our congregation are on the poor guy's side because we have people, we have homeless people in our congregation from the Spring Order Trail. I'm glad they're here. But most of us are on the other side of that. The rich guy, as is portrayed here, the rich man lives for his comfort in his life and ignoring Lazarus. That's the problem. It's a big problem. It's a big problem. He cares about his own comfort. That's central and foremost. Oh, he's glad, glad to throw parties and have people come to his, but he enjoys them, frankly, because everybody said, oh, you're such a marvelous guy. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Ignoring Lazarus, because, you know, who knows? There's probably more to that story, almost certainly more to the story. But death brings around this shocking reversal, unbelievable. Because the Lazarus goes to be intimate with Abraham. And he, the old King James put in the bosom of Abraham. That means he's being held close like a mom holds her baby. To Abraham, the guy. And the rich guy is in Hades in torment. Now, don't get the picture here that what he's saying here is he's in hell and God is giggling there as demons are pitchforking him in hell or something like that, the Gary Larson picture of hell. That's not the picture at all. God never delights that somebody's in hell. Never delights. Because he came to call all to repentance. If somebody is in hell, it's because they've chosen to be there. 
And the torment there, I mean, the heart of it is, it's the same torment that Mary and Joseph experienced. Remember in the story, 12 years old, went to the temple, and they were headed back home, and they discovered Jesus wasn't with them, so they went back to Jerusalem to find their son, and they'd searched for three days. I lost Dawn in a shopping center once for two minutes. And I know how agonized I was. Because three-year-old boys can move fast. And that was in the Philippines. The store wasn't huge like a lot of them are. Still, oh my gosh, where's my son? Was he been, I mean, you can imagine what went through my head. Three days. And when they found him, Mary said, son, what's the deal? Didn't you know we would be in torment? Same idea. What's the torment? That which is precious is gone. This guy's precious is gone. He is in torment. Now, there's punishment for sin, too. But the picture in torment crying out to Abraham and Lazarus. And their names really show what's happening. Their names show their identity. Lazarus is the only named person in a parable in the entire New Testament. Lazarus means... God is my help. See, that's his identity. God is my help. That's who he is. There's nothing redemptive about being poor. The redemptiveness that gets him to Abraham's intimate side is that God is my help, is who he says. The rich man only has his riches. There's nothing else. That's all he is in this portrayal. He is the rich guy. That's it. And at death, riches are gone, and he's gone. But still, it's, a, it's that identity comes to the heart of it. So he's in Hades, in torment. He cries out, Father Abraham, send Lazarus because I'm in agony. His entreaty to Abraham, and this is important, his entreaty to Abraham shows he still sees Lazarus in his instrument of his comfort. Not a person to be respected, but somebody to bring him pleasure. He hasn't changed a whit. He has not changed one bit. His value is still in his comfort. He still sees Lazarus as a tool for his comfort. People say, why is hell eternal? And the answer is, you don't stop sinning just because you're in hell. Who you are follows you after your death, as it follows you here in your life. And then he's concerned not for the world, but only for his brothers. And Lazarus is still an instrument to save his intimate brothers. There's, I mean, the guy's, I mean, he's still self-centered, self-absorbed, comfort-ridden, rich guy. Well, if one rose from the dead, well, one did rise from the dead, and they ignored him just like they ignored scripture. No, it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. So we think about it, pondering. As Jesus followers, one of the things I find myself thinking about is money is like gasoline. It's really useful, but it's also very dangerous. When I go to mow my lawn and I put gasoline in the lawnmower, it's the only time you can come in contact in Oregon. It's illegal every other time. 
And I pick up that can there in the shed in my backyard and I pour that gasoline into the lawnmower. I'm always incredibly careful because I know what can happen to gasoline. Just in nothing it can flare up. But see, money's like that. It's incredibly useful. But it's also very dangerous because it tends to grasp our attention and our values. And we start seeing it as a value in itself. Do you see money as dangerous? Or do you see money as the salvation of everything? One of the things that's pointed out in our contemporary society is how our materialism, our riches as a society, is not working. Because as despair levels in our society continue to go up, the suicide levels in our society continue to go up, and too many people cannot meet and marry because they're just, we think it's all about our money. Of course, the answer here is very simple. We have to do justice. And that justice is be wise and be generous with the resources God has given us. That's, that's, we've been saying that for a long time and will because it goes clear back to Genesis. And justice is that idea where we inconvenience myself for the sake of the worthless person, that is, somebody who's no benefit to me. Injustice is keeping my stuff for myself. That's the lesson that's in these parables. And the question is, who, are you doing justice or injustice? And the answer is probably for most of us, both. The trick is to be moving toward the justice. Use your resources as ways of helping worthless, quote-unquote, people for the sake of the kingdom. Possessions are given us to entrust. It's, it, it, in a real sense, it's not ours. And it's used in service to God and others. And we, you know, Jesus summarizes this. Love God is to be loyal to him and trust him even when it makes no sense. Uh, love neighbor means to seek their best even at cost of my comfort. That's, that's, I mean, that's, we've been saying that. And again, we'll say it for a long time. Love God doesn't just mean feel good about God. It means trust what he says is true. David, in First Chronicles, has a little poem that's just, it shows his value. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power, the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. Your exalted head over all wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. What does this praise look like in action? But who am I? Who are my people that we are able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given only what has come from your hand. See, that's the attitude that we should be bringing, that Jesus is trying to tell us how to bring that. We handle, how, this is important. How we handle our possessions today shows whom we worship in our hearts. How you handle your money shows the worship that's in your heart. Where do you get your significance? Where do you get your security? Now, there's different levels of worship, to be sure. The question here is, where's your worship? And the test is how you use your money and your time. And that's why Jesus focuses on those. What do you worship? What do you worship? 
Matthew 16, he says, Son of man is going to his father's glorious angels, and he will reward each person according to what they've done. Rewards based on what you've done. 2 Corinthians 10, we make it our goal to please him, God, whether we're at home or in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. What are we saying? Everyone will give an account to God. Everyone, 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 everyone. Well, I'm a believer. I'm spared from judgment. You're not going to hell, but you still got an account. What did you do with what I entrusted to you? I don't like that. Actually, then get on the right side and you will like it. Because his delight is to say, well done. Enter into the joy of your salvation. I've got all this amazing stuff I want to entrust to you. Now that you're showing yourself trustworthy. Jesus began to announce the towns and the miracles have been performed because they did not repent. Now you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to heaven? No. You go down to Hades for the miracles have been performed and you had been formed in Sodom, the ultimate bad place. You would remain to this day. And then he says this. I tell you, me more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. What's he saying? What's he saying? He's saying there are more. There are levels of torment in hell. Some sins are worse than others. There are different levels of torment in hell depending on how you live this life. But that's not the end of the lesson. He also says, Luke nineteen. He sends the servants to give them the money to find out what they've done with it. First came and said, "Sir, your mean has earned ten more." Well done, my good servant, as Matthew replied, because you've been trusted in the very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. The second one came and said, your marine has earned five more. The master said, well done. Take charge of five cities. What we're saying here is that not only are there levels of torment of hell, but there are also levels of blessing in the kingdom. And it's determined by our obedience and by our faithfulness in this life. See, I want to stand before Jesus and have him say, well done. But that means I need to use his help, the spirit, the scripture, the community of grace, in order to be trustworthy. Managing money shrewdly, I'll unpack that. Shrewdly may not be the best word there. And money, it's more than that. Managing what? What? So managing maybe resources or gifts, I mean, whatever you've got. Managing it what? Shrewdly, kind of as a negative tone. Managing it how? Generously? Because it's been given to me graciously, freely. All that I have comes from God or other people. Do I manage it generously? Am I known for my generosity? Managing it blessingly. We are blessed in order to bless. Is that my value? Managing it worshipfully. Actually, I like that one. I give money to Grace. Aaron said you could use an app and you've got to put stuff in or tell it what to do. Just go on the auto thing and have it do it every month. You don't have to think about it. But then the plate comes by and I, hmm, empty plate, you know. Why do I give to grace? I could be doing it out of duty because I'm, I'm of that generation. But the reason I give money to grace is because I love what's happening here. I love what's happening in Comunidad. I don't speak Spanish. My problem, I can't understand what they're doing, but I love what's happening there. I love it. 
We need a bilingual assistant here to help the community.org people. It's money. We don't have it. I am absolutely astounded what's happening up there in student ministries right now. We saw the fruit of it last night at Grant and Caitlin's wedding. Because I saw all those young folk there, all loving Jesus, all supporting Grant and Caitlin in their wedding. I want not only Erin doing her thing, and Matt and Sean, I want Jeremy, Bert, and Monique to be on more than 15 hours. It needs to happen. It needs to happen right away because they're doing a phenomenal job in junior high. That's money. Why do I give to Grace? I want those kinds of things to happen because I love what God is doing at Grace. I do. I do. But that means I need to give away something like instead of $15 on coffee, I need to spend $15 on student ministry. Right, Jay? Come on up here. Come on up here, worship team. (laughs) Here's the thing. God is graciously offering his life as his children. We sang it, Jen Lettuce, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. See, that's the identity. He, we are his children if you've accepted Jesus in your life. If you said, I want your help, Lord. And then he helps us be mature as children. He is for us. But we have to be responding with faithfulness and obedience. The question is, we receive the gift? Will you receive the gift? There are communion tables over on the side. There will be prayer people there in a minute. Maybe you need to do some business with Jesus right now. That's the cry of worshipful heart. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done here in our church, in our community, in our world. How do, what do you worship? You know, one of the questions that I find myself helpful at thinking what I worship, it's how do I introduce myself? When I'm coming into a relationship where I want that relationship to happen, I will offer some of myself, not the most intimate parts, but what I say when I introduce myself is a time that's pretty significant. Say, where is your significance and security? So I'll have introduced myself in a new thing is, well, I get the privilege of teaching Western Seminary, and I get to teach about Jesus there. Well, that kind of says something right off the top. Some, eek. actually, most of you will say, really? Well, what do you do? I talk about Bible and ethics. Really? You know, and conversation gets going. I usually talk about my calling, which is being pastor of pastors. And I virtually always talk about the fact that my pretty wife still loves me after 50 years. And I've got some great kids and that's right. Should we have a celebration for 50 years? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Last Sunday of July, right here, 6 o'clock. Last Sunday of July, be here. You come or we'll compel somebody else to come. Okay. It'll be good. Sherry wants to cut a cake because she didn't get to do that 50 years ago. What do you worship? It shows up in your actions. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are worthy of all of our worship. You are the generous, gracious Father who doesn't flick us out of your sight, but comes with grace, offering hope and healing and forgiveness and honoring us in our shame. Jesus, thank you for purchasing that such incredible cost so we can be seated with you in heavenly places far above all rule, dominion, authority, and power. Holy Spirit, show us 
those places where we we worship what we shouldn't. Show us those places where you can bring hope and healing in our lives, transformation and joy and love that we can live in worshipful love. Show us those places, Holy Spirit, I pray. Pray in God we praise you and worship you together. Amen. Go change the world. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.